0: Hey Harvest, hope you're doing well. Do me a favor, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Jonah 4. We're gonna be in uh, the book of Jonah this morning. I'm so excited about what we're going to see together. And uh, today we are actually wrapping up a six week series that we've done looking at different attributes of God. And uh, today we're going to hone in specifically on the reality that God is infinitely merciful. And the title or the theme of the message is this, it's that because God is infinitely merciful, I am compelled to live with compassion. And as I've studied the mercy of God and as I've thought about God's mercy, I think it is one of those all-encompassing things that we live in so often without even realizing it, that it's so easy for us to take for granted. Well, what is mercy? And the kind of textbook definition of mercy is that mercy is not getting what I deserve that I deserve a punishment or I deserve wrath, but I don't get what I rightfully deserve. I get something better instead. So in the very definition of mercy, it implies that you and I are guilty and that we've sinned, that we stand guilty before God and God relents from giving us what we deserve, but gives us something better in its place. And this is what the Bible teaches. In Romans 3, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6, it says that the wages of sin is death. Okay, so here's what Romans is teaching, that every one of us are sinners, that the most righteous and the least righteous all have the same sin problem. That in our heart, we have chosen wickedness, we've chosen pride, we've chosen ourselves over the worship of God, that we've rebelled against God's call in our life, we've rebelled against God's law, that we've chosen to worship ourselves or things outside of God to bring ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction. And this is treason against God. And the punishment of that sin is death. And it's not just a spiritual death that means eternal separation from God, but it also implies physical death, that we deserve to die both spiritually and physically because of our sin. So can we just pause for a moment and say, that's not an incredible spot for us to find ourselves in? Like it's not amazing, but we also understand that at the heart of the gospel, it's not Jesus coming to save the good or the righteous but that God showed mercy and love and compassion to those who were his enemies, those who were sinful, those who were broken, and Jesus came to save those who needed a savior. That's in the very heart of God and in the very heart of the gospel. And so there's a few truths that we need to understand about God's mercy if we're going to understand it rightly. Here's the first. You need to understand that everyone receives God's mercy that whether or not you're a Christian, you have received mercy from God. Psalm 145, eight and nine says this, it says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Lamentations 3:22 and 23 says that the love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What these passages say that is all of creation receives new mercies every single day from God, that it is a river of mercy that God gives to us that never runs dry. And if you think about it, it makes sense, right? Like if I deserve death because of my sin, then every morning where I wake up and I can breathe in air and I can see the sunrise and have the gift of life that God has given to me that I don't deserve, I am receiving a mercy from God that is new. Every breath that you and I breathe is a tangible reminder of God's mercy in our lives. Like, do me a favor, take a deep breath in for a moment. You've just received a new mercy from God right there. Every day, all the time, God's mercy for us is never ending. And here's what's so amazing about God's mercy, that even those people that would deny God's existence or would argue that God is wicked and evil and would shake their fists at God, the very air they breathe to curse God or to to deny God is mercy that God is giving them because he loves them and is slow to anger and wishes that no one would perish. The gift of life is a gift. It is a direct result of God's mercy. We don't deserve it. There's a supernatural mercy that God displays towards all of his creation. The second thing we need to understand though is that God grants special mercy to some. So even though everyone receives God's mercy, God grants saving mercy and a special mercy to some. And the Bible talks about how God in his sovereignty chooses who he's going to draw to salvation and who he's not. Paul writes about this in Romans 9. He says this, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And just a few verses earlier, Paul reminds the Roman church of when God said, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And the story of Jacob and Esau is they were twin brothers who God gave the special saving mercy to one and had a different type of mercy towards Jacob than he did towards Esau. Now, does that make God wicked? Does that make God unjust? Absolutely not, because neither of them were deserving of any mercy at all. Both received far more than what they deserved from God. And God chose to lavish a saving mercy on to Jacob. And here's what this should mean for us, church, is that when God moves in our hearts to make us aware of our sin and to turn us to Jesus Christ as the source of our salvation, when he gives us the gift of salvation, when we put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ, that should create all of the more humility and thankfulness in our hearts for even more mercy that we've received from God that we never deserved in the first place. Like, listen, If the results of you being a Christian is anything other than thankfulness and humility, you're not understanding your own salvation correctly. All of it is God's mercy in which should cause us to walk with humility and thankfulness. The third thing we see about God's mercy is this, is that repentance is what activates God's mercy in our lives that the activating force of God's mercy in yours and I's lives, it is repentance. Uh, Jesus told the story when he was doing his ministry here on earth, and it was of two men. And both of these men, they go up to the temple to pray. And one is a Pharisee, he's a religious leader, and he's a righteous man, and the other one's a tax collector. He's a sinner, he steals from people, he's a traitor, he takes advantage of people. And the Pharisee prays first and he says, hey God, thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. I'm righteous. I follow the law. I fast. I pray. I do all of these good things. God, thank you that that I'm not like that sinner. And then Jesus says, the tax collector, all he does is he beats his chest and he weeps. And he says, God, have mercy on me for I'm a sinner. And then Jesus says something amazing. He says, you know what? It's the tax collector that went home justified. See, listen, none of us deserve God's mercy, but when we understand that and when we understand our sin and when we repent, it triggers the heart of God and it causes him to rain down even more mercy on our lives. You know, and it's interesting, I think when we think about the idea of repentance, we view it as very, very awkward or or as a failure, right? Like if you've ever had a fight with your spouse or, or with your kids and maybe it's your fault and you've been angry or you've been harsh or you've been rude, you know, the Holy Spirit starts to work on your heart and you're like, oh man, I, I shouldn't have done that. And you're like, I know the thing that's going to make it better is to just go and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? But those very words are like the hardest things for us to say, right? And I know with me, it's always like, I wanna justify it or excuse it or come up with reasons why I was the way I was when the thing that would bring healing would just to humble myself and say, hey, Mary, I messed up. I love you, forgive me, it was wrong. I know I hurt you. I, I, I want to do better. You see, the Bible doesn't view repentance as a weakness. It actually views it as a strength with, which activates the mercy of God in our lives. Listen, church, you need to hear me. Not only does repentance bring about salvation, right? Nobody gets saved without first repenting of their sin, but every day, day in and day out, it is the source of God's power, His presence and mercy in our lives. Like I know for me, when I'm in a dry season of my faith, when God seems far away or my prayer life is stagnant or I'm just spinning my circles, almost every time it's because there's unrepentant sin in my heart that I haven't dealt with. And when I get on my knees before the Lord and pray through those things, very, very quickly, God restores to me through mercy the joy of my salvation. He refreshes my heart and I move forward in a way that's healthy and honoring to him. God is infinitely, miraculously, gloriously, overwhelmingly merciful to us. Every breath we breathe is a direct result of his mercy. And out of thankfulness and and for God's mercy, we need to be people who live with compassion, we want to reflect this godly mercy to those we come in contact with. So to see how this plays out, we're gonna do this by studying the book of Jonah. And just so you know, Jonah is probably my favorite book in the whole Bible. Like if there was only one book that I could preach from for the rest of my life, I think it would be the book of Jonah. It has the depravity of man. It has the gospel. It got, has God's heart of compassion. It has a, a whale, which is awesome, or a big fish. It's, it's amazing. It has absolutely everything. And so let me kind of get you up to speed on where we're at when we reach Jonah 4. Um, In Jonah one, Jonah is a prophet to the nation of Israel. And God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and, and to give them a message. Now Nineveh, it's the capital city of Assyria. And Assyria, it's a rising world power. And these people are known for their brutality and their wickedness. They were people of war, they killed people, they slaughtered their enemies. And there's something that's really, really interesting that you need to understand. You see, Amos was a prophet and he was a contemporary of Jonah, which means they were doing ministry the same time together. And Amos at this point had already prophesied that the Assyrians were coming to take Israel captive, that they were gonna lay waste to Israel and take their people as captives. So the Assyrians in Nineveh, they were the bad guys. They were wicked, they were evil, and they were this enemy force that God had promised would conquer them. And Jonah hears this call and Jonah says, absolutely not. And what he does is he tries to run from the presence of God. And he tries to go as far away as he can from Nineveh. He runs from God, which by the way, it's not a good idea to run from God, is it? It's kind of like when you're teaching your kids to play hide and seek and you're like, all right, I'm gonna count to 10 and you go hide. And what your kids do is they stand in the middle of the room and just put a blanket over their head. And they're like, well, because I can't see you, you must not be able to see me. Right? It's not a great plan. It doesn't work very well. And Jonah runs to the the sea, to the edge of the known world, thinking he can escape God's presence. But what God shows him is that his presence is in the sea and he commands the sea and he creates this storm and he outs Jonah as the reason for the storm. And Jonah is thrown overboard. And in God's sovereignty, he appoints this fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah stays in. Uh, the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. He is spit out. And then God gives Jonah a second chance. And he asks Jonah to do the same thing. It says, go to Nineveh and give them the message that I will give you. And then in Jonah three, look what it says in verse three of Jonah three. It says this, it says, so Jonah went and arose to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city and going a day's journey, he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Okay, this is maybe the most amazing verses in the whole book of Jonah. So it says that Nineveh is so big, it's a three days walk to get through the whole city. It says that Jonah goes one day's walk. He only gets a third of the way through and he preaches an eight word sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And in the Hebrew, actually, it's only five words. And I know some of you are thinking right now, man, Cal, it'd be amazing if you preached a five word sermon. That would be awesome. Well, that's mean and that's hurtful. Please stop thinking that and laughing to yourself right now. Thank you. But he preaches this eight word message and it says that they believe God and they repent and they pray and they call for a fast and they put on sackcloth. And through the entire city, that the city starts repenting. And what it means to wear sackcloth is sackcloth back then, it was an outward description of what was going on inwardly in your heart. So they put on these rags and this uncomfortable clothing to show, hey, I'm mourning over my sin and I'm broken about what's happening and what's going on in our city. You know, it's funny, people think that the miracle of the story of Jonah is that he was swallowed by a fish. Now listen, that's a miracle, but it's not the miracle. The miracle of the book of Jonah is that an angry, rebellious prophet preached an eight-word message and God saved an entire city. That the gospel of God could not be stopped and an entire city was saved. Even the king puts on sackcloth and joins this fast and says, listen, we need to take our sin seriously. This city is radically transformed from the inside out. You know, there's this really interesting moment in the ministry of Jesus, where he references the prophet Jonah. In Matthew 12, 38 through 41, um, Jesus is with a crowd of Pharisees and they ask him to perform a miracle. And it says this, it says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here." See what Jesus says there? He says, listen, the people of Nineveh, when they heard the preaching of Jonah, they repented and were saved, and they're going to condemn this generation for their lack of faith. What God did in the hearts of those people were real, and they repented over their sin. Jesus affirms Nineveh's repentance and that this really happened. All right, so this brings us to Jonah 4. And in Jonah 4, Jonah leaves the city and Jonah still wants Nineveh to be destroyed. So he goes and says, I'm gonna sit on a hill outside of the city and just watch what God does. And that leads us to Jonah 4.1. Follow along as I read, starting in verse one, it says this, it said, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Right, So in chapter four, Jonah's angry and he's saying, listen, God, this is why I didn't wanna come here. I knew that you would be merciful. I knew that you would relent from your anger and I want Nineveh to be destroyed. God, would you just kill me? I can't bear to see you show mercy on these people. This is an incredibly hypocritical and uncompassionate statement of Jonah. And in his response, we're going to see three essentials for godly compassion. Here's the first essential for godly compassion. Um, you need to understand that godly compassion is for the different and the difficult, right? And, and this response of Jonah, it's hypocritical for a couple of reasons. First of all, God had been extremely merciful to him. Jonah was a prophet who God spoke to, who ran away and rebelled, and God caused a storm and a fish to bring Jonah back. Like, like He could have just let Jonah go but he showed mercy by calling him back. And now Jonah doesn't want that same mercy extended to his enemies. But you need to understand, this is also hypocritical for a very different reason. And in order to understand this, you need to understand what's happening in Israel during the time when Jonah was a prophet. And to understand this, we see this in 2 Kings 14, 23 through 25. Follow along as I read. It says this, in the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, "'Jeroboam, the son of Jehoash, king of Israel, "'became king in Samaria, and he reigned for 41 years. "'And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord "'and did not turn away from any of the sins "'of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, "'which he had caused Israel to commit. "'And he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel "'from Labo-hamath to the Dead Sea "'in accordance with the word of the Lord, "'the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, "'son of Amittai.'" So you see what's happening in this passage. I know there's a lot of confusing names, but what's happening is is um, while Jonah was prophesying in Israel, Israel had a wicked king who was an idolater, who did not turn away from any sin. Yet while he was king, God showed mercy to Israel and restored the borders of Israel that they had lost. The nation prospers, they expand, and God is showing mercy to a wicked king and a wicked nation. See how this is hypocritical of Jonah? You don't see Jonah running from God when God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to bless Israel and their wicked king. But the second that Jonah has to bless an enemy nation or a foreign people, he's like, no, I'm not willing to do that, I'd rather die. So, So for his people, he's cool with the blessing, but when it's people who are difficult and different from him, he's unwilling to see God extend that same mercy. Listen. If the only people that you have compassion on are the people who are closest to you or the most like you, that doesn't make you a compassionate person. Like, listen, if the only person you're compassionate to are your children, you're not compassionate, you're just a parent, right? It's easy to love and to show compassion to those who are closest with us and our family and who we love, but compassion is for those who are different than us and those who are difficult right? God showed compassion towards his enemies. While we were yet sinners, Christ died from us, that God did the work of sending Jesus Christ and reconciling us to him before we had ever taken a step towards God in repentance. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. So what does it mean to be different or difficult? Well, maybe, um, I think if you are paying attention to what's happening in our country, I think one of the ways that we need to have compassion is for people who look different than us. And there's so much just... Fear and sadness and brokenness over all that that's happening. And I think the first step we can make together is have compassion for the experiences of people who who look different than us. Maybe it's not just how they look. Maybe it's a political difference. Right? We live in a, a society that's so divided politically, and, and the other side of the political aisle there there are enemies, and, and maybe it's someone with a different out view or worldview on, on the world, or maybe it's a different religious view. But but people who are different. Than us, It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they say or that everything they believe, but we can have compassion and want to show kindness and mercy and love in the same way that God has shown love towards us. Maybe it's not different people, but it's difficult people. And we all have these people in our life, right? People that it's just hard to love and they rub you the wrong way and they grind your gears. And it's just like over and over and over again, there's conflict with that person. Well, maybe that's the exact person you need to reach out to in kindness and in compassion and show the mercy and love that God so richly pours out on you and I every single day. It's not just for those like us or those who think exactly like we think. It's for those who are different and those who are difficult. Second thing we see is that godly compassion demands action. Godly compassion demands action. I saw this um, beautiful story this winter. It was a, a video that I watched. And um, it, I think it was on the east side of the state in Detroit, there was a girls basketball game. And two teams were playing two rival schools. And one of the girls that was playing was from a, a Muslim faith. And her faith required her to, while being out in public, to wear a hijab, which is the head covering that Muslim women wear. And for a woman's hair in the Muslim faith to be seen out in public would be a deep disgrace. So she's playing basketball, and she's wearing this head covering, and she's a very aggressive player, and it's a close game, and she dives for the ball and bumps into someone, and her head covering gets knocked off. And so you see in this moment her kind of panic and she stops going after the ball and she goes and grabs her, her hijab and she's quickly trying to put it back on. And then something amazing happens. All of a sudden, all of her teammates, none of whom are Muslim, they quickly run to her and they surround her. And then the, her opponents, the people she's playing against, they run and they surround her as well. And they all stand in a tight circle around this young girl to protect her from anyone seeing her as she puts this head covering back on. And I'm like, what an amazing move of compassion that was. Right? They saw this happen and rather than being paralyzed by fear or awkwardness and, oh man, that, that must be hard for my teammate, they said, no, 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 we can help. And we can honor her and we can protect her and we can help guard her, her honor by allowing her not to be seen with her hair uncovered. And then even the opponents, the ones she's competing against, they joined in. And it was this cool moment of compassion that was more than just thought or feeling, but it was action that resulted in love. You know, Jesus tells a story, speaking of difficult and different, he tells a story of a man who's beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road. And a Jewish person walks by and does nothing and a religious leader walks by and does nothing, but a Samaritan, right? Talk about racial problems between the Jews and the Samaritans and religious problems between the Jews and the Samaritans. A Samaritan walks by and he stops, And he gathers the man up and he takes care of him and he brings him to a place where he can get well and pays for his recovery. And Jesus says, this is the person that has the heart of God because compassion is never just an emotion or just a thought, it has to lead to action. If our compassion is only in words or thought, it is ultimately empty. All right, look at verse five with me. It says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see uh, what, would hap- what would become of the city. So he's still hoping the city gets destroyed. So now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might give shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor you did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? Okay, here's the final thing we see about godly compassion from Jonah is that godly compassion requires a vertical mindset. And the way this ends is very, very interesting. God gives Jonah this plant and it provides him comfort and provides him shade. But a day later, God causes this plant to wither. And Jonah's so angry, he's like, God, just kill me. This heat is too excruciating, I wanna die. And God goes, are you angry that the plant got withered? And he's like, yes, I'm angry, angry enough to die. And then God kind of does the ultimate mic drop with Jonah. He says, listen, Jonah, you didn't make that plant. You didn't cause it to grow and you didn't cause it to wither. It was only here for a day and you're angry enough to die over that plant. Yet there's 120,000 people in Nineveh who are created in my image, who I know by name, who I love, and I'm not allowed to show pity on those people who I formed out of nothing. And the way that this book ends, it ends with a question mark. And some people have wrestled with the question, what does it mean that there were 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left? Does that mean that they were too young, that they didn't understand? Is he talking about children? Is he talking about people that maybe had a mental disability? Like, what does that mean? And the best description that I've heard of it is that when the Israelites received the law, that they were given the law of the Lord and instantly they were told, here's the law, do not depart from it to the right or to the left. And I think what God's communicating to Jonah right now is like, listen, these people don't know the law. They don't know right from wrong. They haven't received the same revelation that I've given the Israelites but I love them and I created them and I know them and I'm not allowed to have compassion on them, but you're allowed to be so mad about a plant that you had nothing to do with that you wanna die? Listen, church, we're only going to be a people who live with compassion when we see both ourselves and others the way God sees us. We need to see ourselves as people who have received extreme mercy, that we stand guilty before God, that we deserve not just spiritual death, but physical death. But God has not only given us a life to live here on earth, but he has opened our eyes to the truth and given us a spiritual salvation that will last for eternity. And that people who are difficult and different from us and, and that are hard to love sometimes, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. It doesn't mean that God isn't showing mercy to them and would want to use us to be a part of the mercy he would grant on their lives the problem with this book is we don't know if jonah ever got it but what i'm telling you church is we need to get it we need to understand that god's mercy permeates every second of our lives and there should be this burning desire in our hearts to live with a godly compassion towards others that they might experience the same mercy that we've received in jesus christ i think that's something to pray about and that's something to pursue together let's pray Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I'm so thankful for just the lesson that you teach us through the book of Jonah about your heart of compassion um, for, for all people. And God, would you break our hearts for, um, just what's happening in our country would you break our hearts for how easy it is for us to just navigate through life and take your mercy for granted god would you just use us to be a light would you maybe put someone specific on our hearts even right now that you would have us reach out to and show love and mercy towards maybe that's a relative maybe that's a co-worker maybe that's a friend who who, who has a broken relationship god may we just be your instruments may we actually be Um, ministers of reconciliation and mercy like you called us to be. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.